2: Radio, Corey. morning.
1: Good morning, how's it going?
2: Okay, Kevin Healy here, Corey, Corey Green over there, or conversely, I'm over here and she's over there, or she's over there. Anyway, whatever way we are, mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. we are. Both here, really, aren't we? are both there, if you think about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> City Limits. It's the second Wednesday of the month. It's Energy Day, and we're going to be talking to Corey. We're going to be talking to, you didn't, you didn't know, did you? We're going to be talking to, yes, you do, you know, it's jo- John Langer first up. We're going to be talking to John in about five or ten minutes. Um, and he is um, an activist on that uh, power station issue, the electricity station issue at um, at East Brunswick, north of Fitzroy, that part of the world. But also on Monday, he he's, he's a 3CR person as well. He's involved with the Foes show, the Friends of the Earth show. And he also was on Monday breakfast. And he made a comment about the fact that public inquiries and government so-called consultation usually results almost always results in the government getting what it wants and it's not real consultation as we so i want to discuss that issue about community consultation etc and how in fact it's something of a farce we might even discuss that later because coming in about 9:30 is cam walker from friends of the earth to talk about a number of issues to do with the environment we might even ask him uh, what the environment got from last night's budget, and I think that should get rid of the first 10 or 15 seconds of the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we want to talk to Cam about a, a couple of things. One, the the free the free trade agreement that's been organised, the Trans-Pacific Tr- um, Partnership thing, um, what impacts it will have on the environment, because other things have been talked about, but it will also have major impacts on environment issues. Mm. I mean, companies could sue if you try to stop them doing something. Mm. Um, And um, also um, talk to uh, Cam about, um, I'd like to talk to him about how companies only do the minimum. Like here we have laws on the environment, so resource companies, for instance, have to obey them, and they do, but they usually also cause environmental damage anyway because something goes wrong. Mm. But in, in Third World or other you know, countries outside Australia where there's no such controls, such as parts of Africa, in West Papua with the mines there, on Bougainville, there was a documentary I watched last night about Bougainville, and I was there at the time. Um, the massive damage to the environment there, because they just don't give us stuff. And I think that's real capitalism. I mean, it it does only what it's forced to do, and the rest, if, it, if it's big profit in polluting, then it does it. Similarly with workers. I mean, it, it, it pays workers or gives them the conditions, the minimum ones it, it has to give under the law. So in Bangladesh, where there's bugger all laws, mm. we see hundreds of workers, thousands of workers dying, because of capitalism. Mm. Um, so we'll talk about some of those And having to in live years. in
1: dormitories as well. I mean, you know, what sort of a life is that? Having to work these horrible 16-hour days. And-
2: well, you haven't got far to go to work. In <laughs> fact, <laughs> you're asleep on the, uh, on the machine. So <laughs> no, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Do you want a cup of tea, by the way?
1: Oh, I'd love a cup of tea. Okay,
2: yeah, okay. It's just straight jasmine today. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's straight very... jasmine. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's not straight, but it is, you know. It's, well, it's pouring, so it's not quite straight, is it? Mm. Uh, but it's mm. jasmine. Well we go. So I just that. want to say yeah. if
1: anyone out there um
2: well I'm tea, yeah
1: wants to send us presents
2: yeah, um them. we, we actually them. only
1: accept cash bribes.
2: Cash bribes.
1: Radiothon's it. coming up and we're gonna need all the cash bribes you can get and in, in exchange for that you get independent media.
2: Yeah, but if the bribe's begin up we might give a bit to Radiothon.
1: <laughs> yeah. we <Yeah>. generous. <laughs> We're generous. We're generous. Yeah, we are. We're all heart Yeah, all and in, hard. and in case anyone's wondering, um, Kevin is a taken man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me! Um, right, <laughs> um, I'm glad you said that. That was terrific news for everybody. Um, Corey, that's no, it's terrible news. It's,
1: I think that's probably going to come at, up at the UN. You know, oh, it might. It's very yeah. important. Yeah. That, that'll yeah. um, overtake the whole budget.
2: I've been taken to a few police stations by the constabulary and, <laughs> and shown around. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's, does that count? Speaking of taken, um, Prince Harry wants a family, but he's worked out it takes two. Um, oh. So he, at 30, he's learning, isn't he, this boy? He's a bright boy. That's good. Yeah. I noticed him in a, you know, he, he went away. He, he fare- farewelled people here last week because we all loved having him here, of course. And, mm. But he, he had all his insignias on but I didn't see his swastika. He didn't have his swastika run last weekend. I don't know why. Mm. Yeah, poor boy.
1: Maybe he wasn't going to the Reclaim Australia rally.
2: No, maybe not. And and, and Singo, of course, has had a bit of a barney with um, another rich mate, Jack Cowan. Jack Cowan, by the way, Jack Cowan, Fairfax, menu director, it says, but he's, he's actually a very close mate of um, Gina. Mm. The Gina. Gina, in fact, when she was before she sold out from that company, she actually had him put on the board to represent her. Uh, Jack, and he also he runs um he runs a lot of these fast food junk things, um, Kentucky Fried and Hungry Jacks, oh uh, yeah, Hungry here. Jacks is named after yeah, so him. So he's big on um he's very very big, obviously on on giving people healthy food, mm. um and he's he- and a healthy economy, of course. He had a barney with his close mate uh, John Singleton in this very posh restaurant in Sydney, where singer went at him with a broken glass. Now I hope the hope the restaurant tried to um you know, pay, charge Singer for breaking the glass. Mm. But uh What rabble. S- yeah, that's right. And Singer then headed off to the pub to have a few more drinks that did suggest he might have had a few by this time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, that was just friends having a thing. If 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 that happened in a working class area, it'd be all over the paper about um Struggle Street and all that sort of stuff. Mm, wasn't it? About these people being unable people. to control
1: themselves. That's right.
2: That's right. Themselves and that's right. But maybe they can You have know, a, what like,
1: we need is more jails.
2: Maybe the two champs could have a a, bo- a box-off for the big title with uh, Jamie Packer and Singo, perhaps down in, on Jamie's front, you know, out of, outside his house next Sunday morning or something, a bit of a barney. Yeah, well, that's, if the rich could all yeah.
1: kill each other off, that would be um, a service Oh, that's, to the rest of the community.
2: That was a bit cruel, I thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you so we to hear, by the way, and um, that um, oh, oh, something I should mention um, mm. a couple of weeks ago, we or oh, in the last few weeks we 've mentioned a few times this issue out at Sunshine where there 's a bit of parkland that mm-hmm. the unelected commissioners want to flog off, mm-hmm. and they 've now handed it the Sun Company in foot 'scray to to uh, <clears throat> negotiate the sale. Now, we mentioned that we thought the community had, had had a victory because it was on telly a couple of weeks ago, and I believe the premier on that television coverage said the commissioners only had the right to administer because mm. they weren't elected mm. and they had no right to sell public land. Now, even if you're elected, I'm not sure you have right to sell public land, but that's another question, uh, so given that the locals now are starting to feel a bit worried about it because it's been put in these hands and the government and the local member of parliament hasn't really uh, shown a lot of uh, – well, she s- expresses support, but there don't seem to be much action going on. So yesterday I rang both the local government minister, who is who represents that part of the world, not quite exactly that seat, but the next seat. Uh, and uh, I rang the premier's office as well and asked them. Given the premier had made this statement, what they were doing to make sure the land wasn't sold off. Mm-hmm. And this is a classic case. It's well worth I've mentioned it before, but this is a classic case where spin doctors really uh, make sure you don't find anything out because they said, "Oh, can you email us your question?" Because mm-hmm. you get on of a spin doctor, You don't get on to you know you know.
1: The actual person no you
2: never get now like in in my print journalist days over many years, you in those days you could actually get to the person you wanted to talk to, and you could have an interview you 'd ask your question they 'd answer you might have another question arising from that you might want to clarify something, and you you know you finally got your story and they come up with their answers and
1: sounds very quaint
2: it's oh, very quaint indeed well, nowadays, of course, you email, so I said well look i 'm at home i haven 't got email here um, here 's my questions here 's my phone number. Get back to me, and yes, they said, and that 's the last we've heard of them. Hmm. Um, they didn 't get back to me yesterday. they might sometime in the, sometime in the future, but I have got a lot of people getting back to me over many years who haven 't quite got back yet but um, but so we don't know the answer to that, but it's, we would like to hear it from the minister and the premier directly, if that were possible. But the other, this system is very good because you you send the email, they reply. You want to know something else, so then you have to send another email. So it goes on and on, mm. and there's no and it it's a way of wearing you down. And, and and of course, they sit back and then send you the answer they want to send you, which um, is the spin doctor version of of everything. So it, it's all very nice, isn't it? So I just it's amazing I
1: how that. they use, you know normal English words, but they put them together in a sentence that just doesn't, just doesn't convey any meaning. It's a real gift. Well,
2: it's an art. You have to learn that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that's
2: what spin doctoring is all about. Unless, so, of course, you want to get your story out. I mean, the only time the minister comes up is when the minister wants to say what the minister wants to say, so then they'll have a press conference and, um, and turn up live. But other than that, they just hide under the bunker of the spin doctor.
1: So speaking of uh, spin doctors... I was reading their budget last night, as you do. Good God. Yeah, and um, I I, I came across something very interesting. I want to know what you thought. Um, The government's going to provide $21.7 million over four years to limit the impact of extremist narratives on domestic audiences. Do you think that they're actually going to close down all the Murdoch papers or what? Sounds like it. Oh, that'll be great.
2: Well, Rupert's gone by the sound of it.
1: Yeah. Extremist extremist narratives. Yeah.
2: I think we mean... Jihad. I got a feeling here, and that's that's it. The are they,
1: Heral- are, are they going to shut us down? Are we the extremists?
2: Oh, I think we we would we would qualify very well. We <laughs> think of what we're out to say. I think the fact that we're talking about it shows we're extremists. Mm-hmm. But uh, in fact, this morning, I presume I haven't looked at the Herald Sun front page. I got it in my bag. I bought it on the way because I came by public transport this morning in the rain, and I bought it bought the papers at the the station. But. Um, but I haven't looked, but I'm, I'm assuming that Jihad won't get a mention on the front page because of the budget, unless they talk about the budget giving lots of money to stop Jihad or something. But mm, it's, it's There's the a bi- lot of that in the budget. It's the big word, isn't it? I mean, for the last week, almost every, well, I think every day, in fact, the Herald Sun has had a front page headline about terrorism, and Jihad's the big word. You've got to get into the big headline. It's got to be there.
1: Mm. Well, there, there was another um, big word I saw in the budget, um, mm. Biometrics.
2: Right, yeah, biometrics, They're
1: increasing the funding of biometrics, so a way to uh, track people through their natural markers, Mm. not just fingerprints anymore.
2: No, it's your eyes and your sweat and uh, your hair and whatever. Yeah. Whatever.
1: Very, very spooky, I thought. Toenails. And they're going to be um, monitoring what we say on the internet, so I think that's good because I've often wanted to tell Tony Abbott that he's a dickhead and... Now it looks like he's actually going to be listening.
2: Yeah, that's right. That might be the bit of him they use for biometrics. <laughs> <laughs> they could say, yeah, give us your toe now. And you say, oh, no, well, well no, let's take the whole toe. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you are. <laughs> um, just to, before we go to our first guest, um, uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, Twiggy, who's been having a bit of trouble lately with his, his ironing company, and we mentioned, I think, that Twiggy now says the company should intervene in this iron ore Loss of profit issue because, after all, the iron ore belongs to all the people, and it's a government responsibility. And as we pointed ah, out, we can't the recall. The Commonwealth. Yeah, we can't recall the old Twiggy saying that when he was fighting the resources tax. Uh, he didn't mm. seem to realise it was the public property at that point. That but anyway, he's sacking. Um, he's sacking seven hundred workers at the moment. Poor man, because he, and he's having to change the whole system of fly in, fly out. So they got to they've got to spend fourteen days, in fact, working now. Um, to, um, one, to before one week off and 700 workers are going to lose their jobs. But you'll be pleased to know, because, I mean, Twiggy's a man of compassion. Mm. He said he's personally devastated at having to sack these workers. So Yeah. That, I think they probably will leave feeling very happy now. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean,
1: From um, what yeah. I've heard of fly-in, fly-out workers, when they've flown in, they, they work them like, you know, like dogs. Oh, it
2: is. Yeah, it's a it's a pull on pull on day. So if um, they're going to
1: increase the amount of time that they have to be flown in, I don't think see how that could be that good for the well, workers. Well, it's
2: fourteen on seven off, but of course the seven off includes flying home and back again. I think, and that's usually a day at each end of it almost. I mean, mm. time if if you go, unless you can say may finish your shift and get away that night, which I presume it'd be pretty difficult if you're flying across like a. Friend of mine, her son um, is, a, is an engineer on a mining project um, mm-hmm. in Western Australia, but he lives in Townsville, and uh, mm. so he actually flies. You know, every fortnight or so, he flies from Townsville to Brisbane, Brisbane to Perth, Perth then to wherever his mine is in the back of Western Australia somewhere. Funny, yeah. um, but that, you know that's a day. That's a, that's, given it each way, that's that's re- effectively a couple of days off your leave, really, of mm. your time off, mm. just mm. flying around. Mm. Look, I've lots of other things to talk about, but we're running out of time. Let's go to our first guest. We'll take a break, come back and have a yarn to John Langer about electric power station things, substations, and uh, particularly government consultation.
1: Oh, I've got some good ones for that. Good. We're going to go to a track. This is um, Peru with Stomping Ground.
2: Langer and John, um, we'll kick off with the the substation over at East Brunswick. We have covered this in the past a number of times, but uh, where's that issue at now?
3: Well, and can you just
2: explain a bit of the background to it? Yeah, perhaps, yeah, maybe?
3: sure. Um, look, in uh, back, I'll just g- give people an idea of where it is. It's, it's on the Mary Creek. It's in East Brunswick. It's right on the Mary Creek. It used to be a... Uh, it always has been a substation, but it's been a very small one. And um, there was a uh, an application from the electric company. SP, it used to be called SP AusNet. They're AusNet Services to what they called, uh, to do an upgrade. And when we found out what an upgrade was, and the council, the Moreland Council found out what an upgrade was, was actually uh, a, a totally new structure. And it would have been considered to be a, uh, basically a, a whole new thing, which was going to be about five times the size of what, what it is now, or what it was then. Uh, the Moreland Council knocked it back twice and the minister of planning matthew guy came in and he basically decided this is so important and the uh, power company argued that it was imperative that that they get this thing built because if it didn't get built it was there was going to be brownouts and people wouldn't have electricity so he he put the view that or it was put the view put the view was put to him that in order for this thing to go ahead he basically had to rezone the whole area so it was rezoned from um, residential into what was called special use and by doing that he was able to uh, forego all kinds of things like environmental overlays uh, health and safety issues and so on and so on so at it was probably at that point that our campaign really kicked off I mean sort of really kicked off where we call ourselves we called ourselves no bts 66 now if you if you saw our signs uh, around the place and lots of people did i had somebody come up to me and said they said to uh, said to me is that the name of a new rock band (laughs) 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 so right from the start where there was a there was a kind of slightly uh, an issue about branding however it was also a good way to kick off conversation because people would say what does no BTS stand for? No, what does no BTS 66 stand for? <laughs> so that was that was kind of where it was at. Now we've been going for like probably over well certainly full full steam 3 years. Anyway, it was it was uh it was approved. We couldn't go to VCAT. Um the only way we could fight fight our our um campaign, we were told was we had to go through the Supreme Court. We didn't have, obviously didn't have the money to do that. So we basically had to do a, a kind of on-the-street campaign, which we've been doing for, for a long time. Anyway, the, the long and the short of it, just to sort of cut to the chase, is um, we wrote to the Labour government, to Daniel Andrews, and said, look, what he can do, he, he came and uh, had a, a little look around the site, and he wrote us a letter um, probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago, saying that if they got in, they would definitely have an inquiry. And that inquiry is now, has been announced, it was announced in March, and we're having uh, a preliminary hearing on Tuesday, this Tuesday. We've got to put our submission in on Friday. Then we have the main hearing, which is apparently called the directions hearing, uh, in the middle of June and um we've had to postpone that because our, our, we've actually had to get a get a a senior counsel to to represent us we were advised that the only way you can get traction in these in these sorts of things is you've got to have big high powered legal eagles and he's doing it pro bono but you know the whole thing to me and i think this i I'm speaking on behalf of our whole our campaign is I think the whole thing is really already kind of settled in a way because the terms of reference in the in the inquiry for the inquiry are extremely narrow they're simply looking at the planning approvals process now I don't know if you've been following this but I'm I'm sure you've been getting electricity bills and what's been happening with everybody's electricity bills is that they're going up and up and up but in fact over the past 5 years, 6 years in Australia, the amount of electricity that's being used across the country and in Victoria and in Melbourne is actually going down. And people are wondering what what's going on? Why why is this happening? Now, people have been investigating and there's a whole lot of reasons why electricity price electricity use is going down, including a conversion to solar, more um more um efficient appliances um the fact that manufacturing has been torn out of the country and so on but the price of-
2: and of course also the fact that because prices have gone up people are trying to to use it less anyway
3: that's right that's right in fact that's that's been called the death the, the, the electricity death spiral that is As the prices go up, people use it less, and therefore the the companies have to charge those people using it even more money. Anyway, the the argument around this has been something which is called gold-plating the grid, which I'm sure you've heard about Mm. as well, and lots of people have. That is, what they do in order to maintain their profits is not so much about, well, it is about consumers and customers paying electricity bills, but it's also investing in poles and wires, huge amounts of money. And this particular thing is—it's uh, going to cost us, that is, the consumer, something like three hundred million dollars. Now that's going to go into our, onto our, our electricity bills, basically.
2: But and just to go, sorry, you. Surely
1: they're not doing this um, out of some sort of folly. Sorry. Surely they're not doing this out of some sort of folly. There's, you know, is there a, you know, a reason that they're upgrading things? I'm usually for them upgrading things.
3: Well, well. Their yeah, their argument is that uh, that without the upgrades, they're going to have um, they're going to have brownouts and people won't have enough electricity and their 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 arguments i mean look i'm not a'm a complete technician on this, but their arguments are at certain times they have to be able to uh be able to um, give people electricity, especially at peak times, mm. so for example, during the summer during the summers when when it gets really, really hot, more and more people are using air conditioners. So they're arguing, I think the argument is they've got to be able to supply people with electricity to use their appliances at peak times. But the other side of the argument is if electricity all around the country, the use of electricity is actually going down, that the way power grids work is they can shift electricity around so that you can actually cover those... Um, those peak times without necessarily building extra stuff. Okay. So, so that, look, that's my understanding of it. Mm. And, of
2: course, um, John, the other point is about the poles and wires, etc., is that in the, in the arrangements under privatisation by Kennett and Stockdale back then, mm. uh, that was where the money is. So if they invest in those, even though it's over-investing, yes. they're allowed to retrieve and they can make more money by doing that. So we are paying for all that.
3: Yes, yes, yes. Look, and the other thing I... The other thing I want to just you know, like we're talking about this, and uh, to me, there's there's bigger issues here. I mean, I, the, it, in terms of the ca- the way the campaign sort of shaped up, and I, I I want to say this very clearly. To start with, I you know my perception. I think a lot of people's perception was that this was a NIMBY issue. That is, you know, not in our backyard. It's on the Mary Creek. It's right around a whole bunch of houses, uh, people's houses with kids in them. They were concerned about. You know, and still concerned about electromagnetic mm-hmm. fields and so on because this thing is going to be absolutely huge. But over the years, what's happened is people are realizing there's a connection between the Brunswick Terminal Station, brown coal burning, which is where the power comes from the Latrobe Valley, climate change, and there's a whole range of issues that, and conversion trans- transitions to to, um, to renewables. So. Over the years, I think the campaign has kind of reshaped itself into what I would see as kind of larger issues, not just about the terminal station, but the terminal station is actually like, for me, and I think for other people in the campaign, is like a case study in how not to do stuff and how to, in a sense, retain a kind of Technology, which is really 19th century based around coal and burning coal mm. and providing energy like that, and uh, a transition which into into a renewable a renewable um, uh, technologies, and I think that's that's something which the 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 inquiry itself does not allow us to address. The terms of reference in the in the inquiry have to do with the approvals process. And that has to do with a lot of technical stuff to do with how the decision was made around, you know, this sort of energy stuff. But we're trying, we're trying desperately to bring in the bigger issues.
2: I did want to talk to you today also about that issue that inquiries are usually about getting what the government wants. You made that point on our brekkie show here on Monday. Yes. Uh, another factor, of course, in getting what they want is who conducts the inquiries, and that's an important thing. and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know who's conducting this one, but it's, they're presumably government appointments. And... Well,
3: it's, um, it's the minister planning. It's Richard Wynne who's called the inquiry, and the two people, as I understand it, the two people they've appointed... Seem to be people. At least my colleagues have said people who would be sympathetic to the kinds of bigger issues that were, that I've just been talking about. I I can't re- I can't recall their names right now, but apparently one is a kind of planner, but also someone who's very interested in in, um, in sort of planning in relation to cities and uh, sustainability and those kinds of things, environmental stuff. So. People have been saying they, they may be uh, sympathetic. They certainly are, independ- as I understand it, they're independent. Um, I'm not saying that they're not going to end up saying what the government wants them to say, but um, I also understand that there are people who will speak their minds and, and uh, call call it the way it is. Hopefully that's the case. The thing that I'm concerned about, I guess, and other people are concerned about it, is, when you go to these panels and I've never myself I've never been to one so I, I can't really speak about you know what happens but apparently the, the companies the corporations are hugely wealthy of course and uh, you know you would know this yourself and they probably have massive amounts of um, money that they can spend on first of all I suppose technology technologists who who can sort of present a whole lot of stuff that that Possibly for ordinary people, would be basically impenetrable, and then um, have lots of lawyers who can argue, you know, very particular legalistic points. So, look, it's very hard to, you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen. But well, we'll the
2: the last one I attended, I in fact, when I gave evidence at it, I, I, they took umbrage at the fact that I said, "I'm going to say this. I know I'm wasting my time because I could (laughs) write the final report now." And uh, they took great umbrage at that, but then they ended up writing exactly the final report I said they would. So, there you are.
3: <laughs> right. I've
1: I've found in my experience that um, having the truth on your side is enormously helpful, even if the other side does have a lot of money.
3: Right. Well, that's that's encouraging. Thanks for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping we can we can say those kinds of things. And uh, look, the other thing I've got to say, you know. Um, uh, whatever the result, whatever the result is, and I suppose again, this is this is the bigger picture for for communities. And I've got to say this: I I have now met, and and uh, we have all met together for a long time. And these are, these are people that, in the normal course of things, I, I probably would never have got to know. Not that I'm you know necessarily friends with them, but we have set up a community. We've done a lot of things together like i think uh, you know not so much for me but for them i think they've gone through Mm. a bit of a radicalizing process they were we were on the streets like we you know we were doing stuff that i think a lot of those people probably had not done before so one of the things you know whatever the result is um i think there's something at the bottom of it which i would say you can build community you can build solidarity Um, around people that you don't necessarily know. Um, You don't necessarily have to become friends, but um, you know it's very it 's very important, and I think that 's the kind of thing that I would say yeah. is 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 really important it 's a,
2: a good point because the the Albert Park group when they started, there were many conservative people around Elbert Park you know fighting for the issue yes. who said oh you can 't say that to the police or something and then when the police started arresting them, they realized you know, they, well, that they they became quite radicalized by yes. that, by being involved and in fact and the Upfield Line campaign. There's a group of us who met there who still have dinner once a month together. So, oh, okay, are.
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that, maybe that's what's going to happen with us as well. I don't know. We we've been meeting at a pub for you know long, long time, and we've shifted pubs a few times. But you know, we're, we're having you know the meetings and whatever. So it's it sort of go, it keeps going.
2: Yeah, but but on that point about consultation, I know Corey's got some things to say here as well. I mean, you you made the point Monday. I think all the perhaps the collectively on the Brecky Show on Monday, people said that public consultation processes are generally about the government getting what it wants, and they're not proper consultation. Yes, uh, yes. That's, comment there.
3: Yeah, look, that's absolutely the that's that was in fact one of the we we've got five. There's five points that we're we're kind of trying to present at the inquiry, and one of them is, is precisely around consultation. And the whole process of a consultation, at, at, it, we, we were supposed to have consultations specifically with the power company. And they set up a series of uh, meetings, well, they called them consultations, but in fact they were, they were things where they were presenting material to us essentially saying this is the way it's going to be and then they would open it up for for questions a few questions and then you know that would essentially be the end of the consultation process and it was it's kind of been like that all along and and um, when we've tried to just as another example we tried about 16 times i have to say 16 or 17 times to actually have a meeting with Matthew Guy the minister of planning and we could not we could not meet with him. We actually we we went to his office in Rosanna at one point. We occupied his office. Now these these are you know like they, this was my uh, Friends of the Earth experience, right? So I, I'm learning I'm learning from Friends of the Earth. I'm saying, listen guys, we've got we've got to do something. Let's go and occupy his office, which we did. You know, all, all five of us um but we we couldn't we couldn't uh you know we said we're not going to move until we have a conversation with him we want to talk to him and you've got to phone him up and and he was busy of course and he couldn't talk to us and finally the police arrived um but look you know that was we tried and we went to the we went to parliament we went to a a sitting in parliament where um one of the members, I think it was—I um, can't remember who was speaking about it—but I mean, things were raised in Parliament. We were there, but we we went to his office in Spring Street. We tried many, many different avenues to actually have a face-to-face conversation. We could not get get to him. The local the local members, um, Jane Garrett was was supportive. We also got some support from from the Yarra Council and Darebin Council. We got support from the Greens, but we couldn't. We just could not get to Matthew Guy, and I think that was, Hmm. you know, that was obviously a purpose purposely set up strategy on on their part and probably the power companies as well.
1: My um, experience with government consultation, probably the worst one, was when I was um, in the campaign against the Northern Territory intervention. Oh, yes. And they, uh, Labor introduced this uh, Stronger Futures discussion paper in 2011. Now, it started off, um, the views of people living in the Northern Territory will be at the centre of shaping what we do next, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it's the only just, um, consultation where... The actual consultation paper has the questions that you're allowed to ask written in it.
3: Yes, yes. So
1: I thought that was uh, that was quite ridiculous. So, yep, um, yep. A, you know, a first old of old. all, they're talking up the you know the Northern Territory intervention, which is, you know, saying how great it was, which was just a total lie. But you know, you've got questions like, um, what can the government to do do to encourage this, for example, <laughs> through links to welfare payments? Yes, yes. Or, yep, um, yep. yep how can greater private home on, uh, private home ownership be encouraged which i thought was just uh mm-hmm. you know is that <laughs> you, you know we're talking about aboriginal land we're talking about
3: yes yes it's a complete different paradigm really isn't it yeah
1: but you know this is the this is the questions that you're allowed to uh, to yeah, ask yeah that's and,
3: that's that's what i you know that's what i feel about the the terms of reference that they've given us i mean it's it's so it's so circumscribed that we we haven't got the, I, I guess the, the, the space to actually raise what I think are the are the really serious questions. One of which is to do, of course, with the transition to renewables, but also the whole process of democracy. I mean, how do you how do you end up having a voice as a citizen in in a, in panels like that? Which which require you to have, I mean, we have a, a senior counselor uh, who's representing us, but the only reason he's doing that is because his kids go to the local school, and he mm. knows some of the people mm. in my, I don't know him personally, but he he's one of the people in our, I mean, he knows the people in our campaign, so he's doing this, but look, you know, it's this is not the way you get community um, voices, on the table. I mean, you, you just can't possibly work this way. And, um, so I, to me, the, the, you know, the Brunswick Terminal Station is, it is, it is an issue, but it, it, it in a sense, it, it captures mm. a whole lot of way, way bigger things about how democracies work, the relationship between government and big corporations, and the whole issue of, of, uh, energy and, and, um, climate change and, and how you get your power.
2: Mm. Just before we wind up with you, John, by the way, Cam Walker's wandered into the studio. He's in for the next interview. I'm sure you know Cam, given you do the pro- program. Um, but um, Cam, um, you've been involved in a number of inquiries and so-called consultations. Um, some people suggest there's a bit of a farce involved. Would you have your comment on that?
0: Sometimes there is, yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the risk of sound, sounding naive, I think you have to go into processes, uh, you know, with, with the understanding that uh, input from the community is going to be meaningful. Obviously, always you look at the terms of reference because that kind of mm. indicates what type of inquiry... And who's appointed to hear it. And who's appointed mm, to hear it and what, what style of inquiry. Um, and I think it's interesting days with the new government. We haven't had, uh, you know, a, an inquiry as yet where mm. they're all being announced. It'll be interesting to see how well, the new John's lot... John's saying no. the two
2: people appointed here seem to be pretty good. in this well, one. So- With the new
1: government, I they've actually they were talking about government efficiency and I noticed in the budget last night that they're um scrapping the Department of Agriculture Community Consultative Committee. So they're giving up on the fossil altogether. Mm. I thought that I thought that was pretty interesting and efficient. <laughs>
2: Yes. Yeah, okay. John, look, we're going to have to leave it there because Cam's wanted in and we're going to have a yarn to him about oh, other okay, about, yeah. related issues. But good, good luck with that and we'll keep in touch on it.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
2: thanks very much for uh, having me on as well. Okay, mate, good. All right, and we're, Okay, See John, you, mate. John Langer there, who's part um, of that campaign, but he also presents here on this station. He was on the Bricky show, that's how we picked that up. Um, Cam Walker's in the studio, who, of course, is from Friends of the Earth. I uh, don't think I need to say that, but perhaps I, I just did anyway. Um, Cam, starting point last night's budget, just um, this shouldn't be too long. Anything on the environment worth noting?
0: Short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> right, I thought that. It's Which a- <laughs> is probably not too surprising.
1: I guess. (laughs) I I thought there was something quite interesting. Actually, they're talking about making. um, They're putting a lot of money into making improvements for the uh, Great Barrier Reef. Yes. And I thought, with maybe the neoliberal mindset, what they're talking about is turning it into a dump. Like, like it's their like their their vision of progress is to turn the Great Barrier Reef into a huge dump.
0: It's interesting that they're under pressure and so they've thrown this money at it and it's basically to do the onshore stuff so to make sure that the land is not putting pesticides and chemicals onto the reef that are killing the coral. So they're totally ignoring the question of climate change which Mm -hmm. is all about the coal mining that they're facilitating and even the WWF which is quite a conservative environmental group has said it's about one-fifth of what's required if you're going to deal with this part of the problem which is only half of the problem. So by that reckoning we're about one-tenth of the way to Mm. protecting the reef.
2: The only two headlines I can find in the Fin Review this morning relating to the environment, that one about the reef, And one that says, no need to read on in this one, no new money for climate change is the other headline.
0: Yes, indeed. The one little surprise, I guess, was that the Climate Change Authority got a little bit of money allocated so it can continue to review climate change policies. Why they do that, I've got no idea, because clearly this government has no intention of acting on climate. Uh, The Clean Energy Finance Corporation is still slated to be closed, which is absolutely tragic. Uh, What was very sad was there was no money for new rail, which is really important in terms of getting future infrastructure right and the... The Government has even said, with the Victorian money, we're going to keep it for the Mm East-West Tunnel for when we finally come around to our senses. So, you know, that's very disappointing. That's money that should, we think, go over to the Metro Rail Link.
1: What do you make of um, the Government's Emissions Reduction Fund?
0: It's uh, around carbon abatement, so it's around planting trees with business as usual. So rather than uh, facilitating the the shutdown, the phase out and the transition from dirty coal into clean renewables, Mm. it's basically business as usual, uh, and that's because the model, of course, is one of climate scepticism and planting a lot of trees. So it's great that the abatement is happening, but you have to have mitigation, which is actually reducing the production of carbon in the first place.
2: Yes, that's right. And Hunt keeps saying it's going to find the solution. Now, again, a part of that is, of course, one they've got this um, this carbon abatement scheme, but also they've got to come up with, in the the end, by the end of this year, in fact, with their next target um, post 2020. Now. They seem to be having a lot of trouble with that one at
0: the moment. Yeah, they do. So at the end of this year, we have a make or break climate negotiation happening in Paris. And by mid-year, all the countries are meant to have put their commitments on the table. And Australia has really been dragging its its feet on this one. We missed the target of a couple of weeks ago. So we haven't put up our, our target. At this point, we have that ridiculous 5% emissions reduction target. Mm. That's the old one. We haven't put another one on the table. And it misses the point entirely. The government says, oh, well, we're just a small gross emitter of emissions on a global scale so what we say doesn't matter and we want the big emitters to do something and it misses the point that we've built up our economy by burning a truckload of coal and we have very high per capita emissions and we can't expect places like China and India which have relatively very low per capita emissions to take really deep steps in terms of cutting emissions unless the rich world does yeah. especially so they're, when
1: they're burning our coal
0: well exactly so they're conveniently a historical on this there it's like yesterday didn't exist in the last two centuries. Didn't exist, and we're all on a level playing field, which we know is not true.
2: And thanks to them, tomorrow mightn't, of course. Just um, in, in last Thursday, um, Hunt made yet another comment, but it, in, in a comment on it in the Fin Review last Friday was in the strongest sign yet the Abbott government will adopt a moderate, shorter-term target ahead of the crucial global negotiations. Hunt said Australia would look for consistency with other industrialized nations of a similar size when deciding on baselines. So it's back to that argument about who's going to move first. Rather than, take, rather than look at the issue which you have to address.
0: And do we go against 1990 targets which was the status yes. quo or 2,000, or 2000 targets yes. which have higher levels to, as a starting point? So, again, it's like we're arguing there's a, there's a game on the field and we're arguing about the rules on the sideline. So, mm-hmm. again, it's like we're choosing to be irrelevant if not obstructionist in this.
2: Yeah, and that, But that argument also implies that the issue itself doesn't really matter. You've got to get the best result. It's the old argument that the economy has to take precedence over anything you do about the environment.
0: Absolutely, which is missing the whole point of the science. And if we go back to the federal budget, again, science was sadly pretty much lacking uh, in terms of allocations. There was a little bit of money here and there. But, you know, we've really lost that sense of science... Uh, controlling or suggesting how our economy should develop and if you you listen to climate science it's mad to be uh, rushing through massive new coal mines in Queensland and massive new unconventional gas operations so uh, it's not in the government's interest to acknowledge that level of science of that mainstream climate science so we're we're stuck with this constant dilemma where they only talk about the economy and they don't reference climate change and so you know until they actually do uh, it's really not going to go anywhere meaningful
2: The the usual suspect heralds sun economic and social commentators uh, continue to say that there has been no increase in clean, in, in temperature etc etc therefore people like you are absolute maniacs and destroying the economy for no reason whatever response to that
0: Well, we look at mainstream science and it's, it's, you know, we look at the UN, we look at the World Health Organisation, radical entities like that, fringe left-wing entities like that. Mm. The majority of governments on the planet, we say, well, climate change is mainstream science and it's clear that humans are causing global warming. So, you know, there are always the ideologues in the Murdoch press and in the the federal government and in parts of business that will just stick their head in the sands because this is about ideology. This isn't about facts. This is about ideology. And they'll, you know... They'll refuse the science until the water's lapping around their knees. Mm, which it could be very shortly by a report yesterday, in fact, which um, came out. I
1: yeah. thought it was interesting that um, in the budget they're putting a lot of money into um, fighting the drought um, when drought is caused by climate change, but climate change doesn't exist.
0: Yes, it's that uh, another one of those dilemmas. I was tracking some of the visits of of MPs up to Western Queensland um, in the last week, Barnaby Joyce and others. Mm. And um, there's a lot, you know, it's heartbreaking what is going on out there. It's, it, you know, businesses are in free fall because you know farmers can't afford to spend. It is absolutely heartbreaking, and it's really important that we support farming communities and the businesses that rely on them. But it's astonishing that uh, you know they're not talking about the possibility that climate change is enhancing uh, the climate cycle. So we're getting more erratic weather, so the storms are worse when they happen and the droughts are worse than they happen. It's a little bit like, you know, you're, you're the doctor looking after a patient uh, who keeps being beaten up and you, you, you don't suggest that maybe we should stop that guy from beating you up. They're just going to fix them, you know, when, when they limp into the hospital. So it's, it's, it's missing the cause uh, while concentrating on the impacts.
2: Pat, another thing in the budget... Um The government will offer up to $5 in concessional loans to encourage the private sector and state governments to build ports, pipelines, electricity and water infrastructure to open up the economic potential of northern Australia. That could also have pretty major environmental consequences.
0: Absolutely. If you think of the the so-called Perth to Brisbane line and the fact that almost all our infrastructure and development is south of that and there's been a long-held narrative by the current government that we need to develop the north and sometimes that's xenophobic, sometimes it's just nationalist, sometimes it's hopeful you know, but they want to see this oh. massive expansion up north. And that's of right. course... The food bowl, etc. Yes. And the reason it's not being developed to a large degree is because, well, if you look at what's up there in terms of its ability to be transformed into, you know, high resource production or high output agriculture, it's just not going to make it. You know, it's, it's a system that's quite fragile. It's, it's, it's tropical, of course, uh, and it's, you know, it's never going to be a food bowl, as I said, that's exporting to the world. Mm. There will be some projects that get up. There will be broad acre grazing as we have had um, up there for a very long time. But it, it's you know, it's this kind of dream-style economic visions that uh, you know, are really dangerous for the country. Well, because it's the
2: environment. There's also, of course, the consideration of Indigenous
0: communities, surely, that could well, be Well, they important. have yeah.
1: actually considered that because they've put um, another $5.8 million over four years to um, extend legal help for people responding to native title uh, claims. So, you know, they are considering that.
0: And of course, we have the and they you know, are
1: clearing out the communities, not to mention That's true.
0: indeed the lifestyle yeah. choices of Indigenous communities. So there <laughs> there is a larger narrative here. I think it's really interesting that um you know last year was quote a shocker of a budget and the government was you know soundly thrashed by every sector of society because it was so neoliberal and so extreme. And this year is the newer, gentler, kinder uh, government and its its uh, election budget, even as the Australian was calling it today. <laughs> um, so it's it's much much less ideological. But the more you drill into it, the more you realize that there 's you know ideology at play mm. it 's interesting amongst the environmental um, announcements uh one was uh for us to bring radioactive waste from the UK and the other one was to enhance radioactive facilities at Lucas Heights in Sydney, which is our one mm. reactor. So, you know, that, that ideology that accepts there are no limits in terms of resource use, there is no climate change, nuclear power is safe and we can, ex- you know, expand really resource-intensive industries into every corner of the continent is what drives this government.
2: Mm. In fact, of course, a month or two ago, they called for uh, volunteers to offer to take nuclear waste. I imagine there wouldn't have been a rush.
0: No, I don't think so. And, you know, that's a, oh, gosh, a 15-year campaign and more. It was fought by Indigenous communities in South Australia and they won and then it was fought by the people mm. at Muckety and they yeah. won. So it, it's a bit like the horror movie, The Beast Should well, Be Dead. We'll put out Tinas it, again next hmm, hmm. week
2: hoping to, uh, to get it, but who knows?
0: Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Australian <coughs> Nuclear Free Alliance, which is a grouping of Indigenous uh, organisations and environmentalists, will continue to track that one, no doubt.
1: What do you think of the um, the... 1.2 million uh, taken out of the National Urban Water and Desalination Plan.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. We were never a fan of the desal plant here mm. um, and uh, I am yet to be convinced desalination is a good idea. Uh, lots of people say you can run them on solar and you know they for places like Western Australia which is going to have water stress, it, they are a good idea. We're glad to see money coming out of desal. We think that some good things have been done by coalition governments including the last state government around capture, treatment and reuse of stormwater. Mm-hmm. So we, we want to see that continued in budgets uh, but desal we're not convinced.
2: Hmm. Okay, now just I want to go take you to the um, the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership Agreement, the the so-called free trade agreement. Now, a lot's been talked about the impact of it. Governments can sue about various things. The impact on pharmaceuticals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the environment surely could have some could could have some interesting. Uh, Repercussions, couldn't
0: Absolutely, be. and I think if we look at uh, you know the the earlier versions of free trade agreements, like the NAFTA one, the North American Free Trade Agreement between Canada, Mexico, and the United States, and the environmental clauses there allowed uh, companies to sue governments. Um, the key issue there is if a non tariff barrier is put up. So if we say, uh, well, we don't want to have massive unconventional gas fracking in Queensland because it might destroy the Great Artesian Basin and hence the the farming that relies on it. There's the very real fear that uh, a company that has invested um, in, say, that industry will be able to sue our government if subsequently they get the political will and strength to actually oppose the industry. Mm. And uh, part of the problem here is we've not seen the text on what's been negotiated by our government. So the, the government, on one hand, says, trust us, it'll be OK. We won't sell you out over issues like this. But, you know, would you trust this particular government? And it would be very nice to see that text if we are going to take them on well, face there's value. A,
2: there's a case of do at the moment of course which yes. explain to people but it's, they're suing for what billions I think
0: three yes, billion or something like I understand it's very substantial and there was an earlier one uh, I think a petroleum company taking Canada to, um, to an international tribunal as well so there are some precedents there um, so it's not just us being paranoid you know it certainly is the case and if companies are investing big bucks in things they shouldn't be investing in like the unconventional gas industry or new coal of course then if they're stopped by a government they'll be looking for ways to get a Around that mm. just look at how the tobacco industry has pushed back against plain uh, packaging for instance uh, so you know I, I don't think big companies will walk away and say oh gosh it's a shame we blew all that money they'll find ways to to target governments and yeah. using free trade agreements. Indeed back logical. to our
2: argument about public consultation the government's saying they're going to sign this with the what are the 12 or 15 or whatever it is other nations that are involved and then consult through Parliament the mm. people, but that sounds like again a fairly farcical consultation process,
0: isn't it? Well it's it's patently ridiculous. Um it's a little bit like saying we'll we'll go to war, we'll send the troops in and then we'll have a conversation about whether we want to go to war. It's just a moot point. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Hm mm. Corey, you got something to throw in here? Um
1: it, I, we could talk yeah. about war. There's a lot in the budget about war. Yeah
0: that's right.
2: <laughs> Good. I, more, more on the environment
0: <laughs> i haven 't tracked the the defense stuff. Uh, what really upset me a lot was the cut to the overseas development assistance to foreign oh. aid um, oh. Indonesia by twenty percent and how that plays out post you know the the, the executions there and there 's a sense already in Indonesia that this is payback but um, the one that really upset me was the seventy percent reduction to Africa. And I remember at one point on a lobbying trip, a coalition MP said to me, well, Africa's a long way and we don't have much trade interest there. So you know, <laughs> do do the math. Um, you know, these are the poorest people on the planet. And we have people like Jackie Lambie, uh, the and, senator, saying that cuts didn't go deep enough. And, and I, they're
1: I, not just poor. They're poor because of colonisation.
0: And they're suffering the most from climate change, which has been caused by the rich. So, again, that gets us back to history and we have an ahistorical government that's, that conveniently forgets everything that happened before they got into power. Well, the power. very
2: countries who suffered from the Ebola plague last year, uh, and, ma- and a lot of it was, to, well, at least once they got it, a lot a lot of the problem was there were no health facilities to be provided, yet we've got Australian mining companies making fortunes out of those very countries.
0: Yes, indeed. Yep. Uh, there's no doubt that resource companies uh, will often go uh, into nations and operate at, at different standards to what they would if they were operating here in our Which is Altona. my next
2: question. Let's go there because, in fact, um, you mentioned Africa and we have got West Papua. I saw a, a documentary on NITV on Bougainville last night and I, I went there myself in 69 to stop the mine, which was fairly quixotic, I've got to admit. But, um, uh, and I saw... We drank out of the Java River, um, which was clear and beautiful, and about a month after I came back as the mine by then was operating, I saw a picture And for about several hundred metres out to sea was this brown sludge. So the river and the sea were destroyed, and yet people lived off them. Um, And again, that was shown last night, yet it's back to pristine beauty again now. They showed it again, so it's cleared up since the mine. But again, in all these countries, they only do what they have to do. Like here, when they talk about being environmentally sensitive, it's only because they've got to obey whatever laws we do have on the environment. Uh, But they've got no principle whatever when it comes to really caring about it, as I see it.
0: I work on and off with lots of people from the big resource companies and there's lots of good people in those companies but of course they're beasts that exist to make money you know and that's always going to be the bottom line and the good people will often be chewed up in the machine because the profit imperative always comes into play when push comes to shove and I know my experience I'm lucky enough to work with Frenzy Earth which is active in 75 countries and I've spent a lot of time particularly in Latin America and Africa with our member groups there and I've just seen time after time companies brand name companies that we might be behind buying petrol from here uh, behaving in really appalling ways in terms of lack, lack of consultation, lack of information uh, and lack of, you know, best practice management and refusing to clean up when there are spills of particularly of oil and other petroleum products. So, yes, I think that there's a real tendency companies will operate at the levels that they're forced to. And then in places like Australia, there's always the narrative, well, we, you know, we're responsible companies, so let's have voluntary guidelines rather than regulation. which, which is the what makes,
1: Which is what makes a free trade agreement so problematic because, you know, you can afford to make things cheaper in another country if they have lower environmental laws and all that.
0: Indeed. And what uh, keeps uh, companies, you know, behaving properly, it's regulation. What causes good regulation is civil society and activist organisations and trade unions and environmental groups. And then look what's happening here. We have a federal government which uh, looks set, it would appear, to uh, cut the tax status of green groups like Friends of the Earth. Apparently there's about 150... of the most effective groups that do c- campaigning are uh, in the sites and if you take the tax status away that is the tax benefit a donor gets if if they give us money they will basically destroy many of those groups so it's like even here they're pursuing an agenda which would put us in a third world scenario where you you know you you don't have an effective civil society response to the the poor behavior of corporates
1: but in the third world wouldn't they just shoot someone like you
0: In some places they do, and um, unfortunately, we actually have to have in our network a a team or a a project that just looks after people at risk. So, at present, we've got um, an activist in Russia who's been imprisoned very unfairly. Uh, You know, we've often had to actually take people out of countries and protect them for periods of time. And unfortunately, we've had a number of people killed in our network as a result of their activism. Mm
2: -hmm. That's something which we haven't got more time around of time today, but that's something we should talk about, you know, at greater depth because it's important. Um, Also important, and we just in terms of the. fact that this never stops. Overnight, I heard news report that the US has given shell permission to now explore and mine in the arctic for god's sake yes
0: and uh you know that's your jaw just kind of drops because all the recent statements by obama talking about the need to deal with climate change and and some of us going wow he's fine," you know he's on the way out this is his last hurrah he wants to have a legacy he acted on climate change and getting a little bit of hope back up again um, after the disappointment i guess of of um him and, and their actions on climate change to hear that is just astonishing you know the they're, they're drilling in the arctic to a degree because the melting is happening and they're able to get access (laughs) yes they cause the melting and then they they take advantage of it exactly um there will be short-term winners from climate change as permafrost melts and people can move further north and Mm. all the rest of it but uh, there's going to be a lot of long-term pain and uh yeah it's very disappointing to hear um a that shell even wants to go there because they've tried to reposition themselves as a responsible company um like you know bp or british petroleum did for a while there uh but it's like Type reverts to type, and so they're a fossil fuel yeah. company and they've reverted to their form. Yes,
2: BP's campaign hit a bit of a
0: brick wall there a while back. Beyond yeah. Petroleum, they <laughs> were <laughs> briefly, <laughs> and <laughs> then they decided that was possibly too much hard yeah. work.
2: Yeah. Well, there were scientists saying that if, the same, if what happened in the Gulf of Mexico happened... Uh, in the Arctic, you've got no idea what could, what could happen because the, the oil gets into the ice and there's no way of uh, really addressing the issue at all.
0: Well we just need to look at the Valdez disaster in Alaska yeah. and it was further south from the Arctic that yeah. we're talking about and it took so long for the oil to break down just because the ecological systems are so much slower as mm. a result of the colder climate. And there's
2: also noises from China about wanting to move into the Antarctic and do some uh, stuff. Mm,
1: and yes. Australia in the budget mm. is providing $9.4 million to maintain our presence there which uh, sounded very colonising I thought
0: yeah so this is an issue was kind of resolved in the 70s the global community got together and said look this is a global treasure being Antarctica and we should just leave it be we should study it but we should leave it be and it's sad that the resource hunger of many companies is you know back on the agenda and we'll be arguing over that one in the coming decade
2: we've got the next program lining up at the door Cam Walker from Foe thanks a lot and we'll talk to you again I wouldn't actually we will because we'd like to talk about that issue of people in danger and how you protect them yeah
1: and we're going to go out with a track. This is City Limits on 3CR 855 AM.
2: Tell people it's housing next week.
1: Uh, next week's it's going to be housing, and this track is The Dead Only Quickly by the Gothic Archies. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.